Welcome to the Triage Method podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. How are you this week, Patty? We missed you last week when Brian was on. Yes, I am positively fantastic, and now my eyes work. They are better than 2020 vision. I can literally see everything. That is when they're not dry because they are now prone to getting a little bit more dry, but that's only natural after I got my fucking cornea dissolved or whatever the fuck they were doing to me anyway. Um, and then shot lasers into it, which is actually pretty cool because like I was thinking of it, this is completely nerdy tangent, but I was thinking about it. I was like doing the, during getting the laser, I was like, I smell burning, but then I was like, no, it doesn't really smell like burning. And I was trying to think of like what this, the smell was. And then I was like, oh, it actually smells like ozone it's actually the laser was going through the air which was interacting like with the air itself creating ozone but anyway um if you're ever wondering you've got laser eye surgery and you're like oh i smell burning i was like i'm pretty sure it was ozone right but anyway that's a completely side tangent to what we actually want to discuss but before we get into that gary how are you are you phenomenal as well i'm grand as we say in ireland in response to uh all how are you? So, yeah, I, I'm I'm grand. I wouldn't say I'm fantastic, but I'm uh, I'm grand. We're we're on the path, getting the job done, ticking the boxes. Yes, sir. And this week, what we are going to discuss is health. Okay, we're going to discuss health. Where again, we're going to kind of focus on obesity because it's what we've been discussing over the last number of weeks, if not months, at this point. And we're going to talk about health and the difference between the population. Um, and the individual, because this is a really, really important topic that's often missed in the health and fitness sphere, because when we think about the types of content that we consume uh, online, if we're personal trainers or if we're trainees looking to improve our body composition, for example, it's very much uh, content that is intended to be delivered to an individual end user, okay? So it might be something like, here's how to uh, track your calories and here's the specific multipliers you use and all these sorts of things. And then what you do is when you encounter certain problems, you troubleshoot those problems by seeking out content related to that specific problem you're having as an individual. And as a result of that, what we end up doing is we end up on an iterative process where we encounter those problems, create solutions, and we end up with our own individual way of eating diet pattern, training program, etc. So my diet pattern might be different to Patty's, might be different to Brian's, might be different to our clients, despite the fact that we would all agree um, on the basic nutrition principles. So there's still some divergence while adhering to those nutrition principles. But even when we acknowledge nutrition principles, we recognize that there are different ways of approaching things. So for example, we might put calorie intake pretty high in the order of priority. We might say that we want people to eat lots of fruits and vegetables and fiber, but we might, all, we might then say, you know, the specific quantity of fat or carbohydrate that you consume is not necessarily that important, okay? There's certain subcomponents of that, like, you know, the fiber as a component of carbohydrate intake and saturated fat and unsaturated fat as components of fat intake that are important, but there's certainly room for uh, many different diet patterns to be classified as healthful, okay? And for that reason, this ends up being something that people can't quite put together when looking at 
population health recommendations. And the way in which this often manifests is that people will look at the dietary guidelines, for example, um, whether they be from the HSE in Ireland, the uh, NHS or Public Health England in the, in the UK, um, the dietary guidelines for Americans in the US. Um, they're all very similar concepts because when we think about population health, the goal of public policy um, from a guidelines perspective, not necessarily looking at regulation of food yet, but just the guidelines, the goal is to look at what the evidence is most in favor of as a broad principle. So for example, eating more fruits and vegetables is something that is almost always recommended in all guidelines because that's beneficial for the vast majority of people. However, if you're an individual with IBS, for example, you might actually find that eating lots of certain vegetables gives you lots of gas and discomfort and bloating, which might necessarily feel like it's improving your personal health and well-being. So this is where we start to see this sort of divergence at times on the individual level from the population health recommendations, because we're actually looking at different goals. And we've decided to conceptualize this in the way that many do as kind of like a bell curve, because what we're trying to do with population health recommendations, whether they be guidelines or interventions in the form of regulation of the food supply, is shift the bell curve in the direction of better health. And an example of this would be, for example, public health guidelines to um, reduce salt intake, as well as the regulation of salt intake um, within the food supply. For example, um, if, if, if all the the soups and the crisps and the um, bread products, et cetera, if all of those products have less sodium in them um, as a result of regulation, for example, the result of that would be an average decline in population blood pressure. That blood pressure might not reduce in every single individual. And you may even have some cases where an individual might be consuming too little salt for their health or for their performance. But on average across the population, what you would see is that population blood pressure would move in that direction of lower blood pressure, blood pressure which would then um, reduce things like uh, rates of stroke, myocardial infarction, um, heart failure, etc. Okay, So that's an example of where that kind of population level thinking begins to move the bell curve despite the fact that it may not necessarily be 100% the best advice for every individual. So this is what we want you guys to start thinking about when you're thinking about public health recommendations, because very often when you're thinking about that high level, um, high level of analysis from the population level, it's actually really difficult to you know, give guidelines that have sufficient granularity to suit every single individual. And that's why if someone signs up with us, for example, we're going to work on trying to build a diet with you that actually suits your needs, suits your preferences, suits your responses to different foods, etc., cetera, um, and suits your baseline health status. At the population level, you can't be certain of everyone's, everyone's baseline health status. You can't be certain of everyone's preferences. So as a result, the guidelines have to be a little bit vague um, in order to actually make sense for the most amount of people. And that also goes then for regulation of the food supply. Because if we were to take that example of salt, you know, some athletes might actually want a food product that is higher in salt 
after a competition, for example, or if you think about the regulation of um, sugar uh, per 100 mils, let's say, in a soft drink, an athlete, for example, a marathon runner, they might actually seek out the highest sugar content and might be limited in their choices as a result of that regulation. But for the vast majority of people, we would expect that, that would generally be a healthful outcome. So that's an introduction to why this kind of uh, population versus individual level thinking requires um, a bit of thought uh, and isn't as simple as, as what, what can often be the case when we try to advise individuals, you know? Yeah, like like a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in this obesity series, like this stuff, it kind of does transcend what we're talking about, like the, the health and nutrition stuff, whatever you want to call this stuff. Um, it does transcend it because effectively we're getting to an issue that, you know, has kind of plagued mankind throughout the our entirety of, you know, living in civilizations, I suppose. Um, and that is like, we'll call it rugged individualism and, or we'll call it like what's good for the individual versus what's good for the society, you know? And those two things, they might not actually align, right? And you can put this in many different categories. Like a one that's obviously, you know, present on a lot of people's minds because it's talked about in the media a lot is like money, right? Like you're like, oh, well, why should there be billionaires, right? And like they, they just shouldn't exist, right? And this is they're an individual perspective where they're like, the individual is the billionaire and they're just doing whatever they can do to maximize their return. Right. But on a society level, like the population level, that might not be the best thing for the overall population for one individual to have billions. Right. Now it's a little bit different in terms of money because like as 2020 definitely showed like money is not finite. So it's, it's not finite like health or it's not finite like, you know, time or your life or whatever, you know? And like, it's, it's basically infinite the way modern monetary policy is. And especially with the fiscal policy of, you know, nations that printed money, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, it, so it's not an exact example or an exact, exact transferable example. However, it is something to think about in terms of your everyday life, uh, as well as what we're talking about here with this obesity stuff and obviously all this health stuff. Because if we look at that bell curve, you know, again, like when you're when we're talking about a bell curve, like it's called a bell curve because it looks like we'll call it an old-fashioned bell. Like if you think of like the Liberty Bell in America, you know, it's like the the tails, the bottom of it, you know, are kind of like going up, and then it goes into this big circle type thing at the top this curved thing at the top so obviously if you're not watching the video of this like i just did the movement with my hands but most of you have seen the liberty bell especially it's an iconic bell but you've seen a bell in a bell tower before you know like in churches cathedrals that kind of stuff right so you've seen that right and what people tend to focus on when they discuss this stuff are the tail ends right the tail ends of that bell curve they're like oh these individuals at the very bottom of this range this small proportion it's like top 10% or this bottom 10%. But they completely forget that, oh, it's actually 80% we're here in this, the middle, the bulk of this bell curve, right? And what we ideally want to do when we're talking about a societal change is move, like if, if for whatever intervention it is, let's say we have a graph, bottom axis, axis, and then there's a, a, not the, the Y axis, but there's just a, a straight line going up and that straight line is whatever metric it is. On the left of the line, it's ill health. On the right of the line, it's good health, right? If we have a bell curve and that line that's going up is bang on in the middle of the bell, 
you know, it's like going straight through the bell curve. That means that 50% of the population are in a bad position, right? They're either in the ill health mark or they're in the positive health mark, you know, the, the good health mark, whatever metric we want to say this is heart disease, fucking lung cancer or whatever, right? It's just, this is the metric we're going. Ideally, if we're looking at a population level, like we want to move that entire bell so that the majority, like the, we actually want to get the entire bell. Like again, we're thinking of this like Liberty Bell in America. Like we want to pick up that bell and move it two, three, four, five, six, whatever centimeters, inches, whatever metric again we're using <laughs> for our graph. We want to move it across so that the majority of people now are in the, the good health bracket, you know, whatever metric we're using, right? That's what we want, right? So we want to get the majority. However, like you can imagine that this is not, first of all, an easy thing to get right. You know, like we're, we're moving something like that's the population. So there's in Ireland, there's millions, you know, but if you look at like the US, if you look at like China, if you look like wherever it has like a huge population, um, obviously it gets a little bit harder. But what people tend to focus on are the individuals then that make up that population graph, that bell curve and while certain individuals might get left behind by moving that bell curve, ultimately it does society better, you know, because more people are now healthier. And if you even think of this from like an individualistic perspective, like if we get the population healthier, like you actually get to keep more of your money because less people are using like healthcare services, less people are dying. We now get better innovation. We now get, you know, better products, services, et cetera, because, people are now healthier, people are now, you know, more successful, they're able to innovate because, you know, they didn't die from fucking a preventable, non-communicable disease. And um, so like society overall is better, not just because the individuals are healthier, but because the society overall is healthier. So even though some individuals in that bell curve might get left behind, and like Gary said, like an easy one is like, obviously we're in this health and fitness world. So easy ones are to easy ones we can point out are you know athletes but we already know if we're looking at this bell curve of the population like they're down in the tail end here they're in this like one to two percent maybe of the population so like who really cares on a population lot, uh, level if oh fucking mo farah can't find uh, a drink to you know get some carbohydrates and some electrolytes in after his marathon like like nobody really cares about that except for mo farah right <laughs> so it's like that's it kind of misses the point when we do individualize it when we're looking at a population level. However, obviously, and we've talked about this before, like we're coaches, we coach individuals. That's what we do. We also coach other coaches to help other individuals. Like we're not coaching people that are making policy. We're not coaching people that are, you know, writing the laws of the land. So we're obviously going to focus more on what the individual can do because that's who we work with and that's where we can impact the most change in people's lives however understand that that isn't necessarily moving the bell curve which is the overall goal and obviously we're talking about this obesity stuff like the overall goal is to move the population into a non-obese category you know so there's fewer and fewer people like the tail end is the obese end rather than what's happening currently in the environment we have and again if you want to understand the environment a bit more go back and listen to like the episodes we did on like neoliberalism and stuff the current environment is one that's shifting the bell curve slowly towards the overweight and obese category so they're getting more and more people in that bell like the 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 middle part of that bell more of them are being shifted into that overweight and obese category right so we'll imagine again it's a left right thing left is the you know 
underweight and right is the overweight obese. Like the bell curve is currently shifting more and more towards that overweight and obese mark rather than moving it down. But obviously, again, if we think about it on a society level, if we do somehow reverse that trend and start moving it down, that does mean that more and more individuals are probably going to fall into that underweight category, even though at the moment it's the very tail end. If we do you know, bring it down, like more people will be in that tail end. However, that's probably a better issue to deal with than the one that we're currently in. And again, it comes in rings and roads, like it goes in roundabouts almost, um, where this is the issue that human, these are the issues that humans have been facing throughout humanity. Like it's, it's something that's just hard to solve, how to get everyone prosperous. Like people are always going to be get, get left behind. And I'll give two examples for this. The first one is during like the lockdowns like that we've had rolling lockdowns like ireland has had some of the most restrictive lockdowns in the world because well we fucking mangled the job of doing lockdowns like we just basically kept our borders open except for if you're in the country which makes no sense (laughs) but um like we've had one of the most restrictive lockdowns throughout the whole thing and you see that some people are thriving during that situation they're like look it's no factor i get my work done i still fucking do my training i just bought some equipment put it out the back do whatever right like some people are doing better than they ever have like you look at the amount of people like you can go on instagram you can do whatever tiktok wherever social media and you'll see people that are like i use this time to really get ahead i've lost 100 pounds i've lost whatever you know they've completely transformed their health because they've now had a break from whatever else that was holding them back and they're in a different situation different environment they're able to get it done right so that's something the environment has shifted and it's changed and now it's prioritizing these other individuals right and again you can look at the economy with this and obviously internet-based companies have just fucking exploded in terms of you know the profits they can generate like amazon just hit a new fucking record i think it was 124 billion they made uh, or yeah billion um like that's unheard of growth like before that they were just struggling to get over the 100 100 billion you know so it's like obviously certain companies are getting way better as a result of the environment we now find ourselves in, right? And that's the same with this population bell curve that we're looking at, where, again, if we shift it across, like some things are going to do better, some things are going to do worse, but there's no way that we can fix the problem for everyone. And that's where an individual uh, intervention comes in. And then the final one I just wanted to say on that is, like, you've seen this as well in schools, like this happens in schools as well, where people will effectively ruin the education of children because they try to focus on you know the f student in the class where it's like oh we have to bring the f student up to a c because we want them to do well but all of a sudden now all the a students and the b students and even the c students are like i don't really get anything from this class so i'm just not going to try i'm just not going to bother so we currently that's what we're doing with health we're focusing on the f student you know we're basically dragging everyone towards that f student which is this like overweight obese category in the context of what we're talking about when in reality like what we should be doing is focusing on getting people towards that a student which you know it's a different perspective than the one that we currently have but i think it's one that people can kind of get their heads around because you've probably been in a classroom yourself you know where it's like someone is in the class that you know maybe they're just falling behind they're not willing to put in the work they're doing whatever and all of a sudden it's like now the whole class is being held up your education is being impacted and we're in a bad position overall, right? So again, people understand that perspective. Now, again, the intervention to fix that isn't 
completely analogous in terms of how we fix it. Like I'm not saying we just, Oh, the F student, we just leave them behind, you know, like obviously I'm not saying that I'm just using that as a, uh, an analogy to better understand this bell curve. Because again, if you just presume the majority of people will say are C students, you know, like C it's distinctly average, like it's not phenomenal, but it's not bad. You know, like that's where most people would stay right? That's they would fall, right? And obviously we have the tail end where loads of A students and then the or very few A students and then the other tail end, very few like, you know, fail, no grade, E students, whatever, you know? Um, but the, the goal should always be to move the, the bell curve towards the top. So we have, you know, a few more B students. And if we get a few more A's in there, happy days. Um, but basically we want to move rather than having the average or the mean at the C point, we want to move it ever so towards the, the B point. But what can often happen, especially if there are you know, enough individuals in the F category that are in the class, what can happen is that bell curve can slowly start moving the opposite direction and everyone gets dragged down. So we want to structure society, we want to structure policy so that we can move that bell curve towards the better position. And again, this, it comes back to that thing where humanity has been struggling with this forever. What's good for the individual isn't necessarily good for society because in the school example, like maybe you do just focus on the top three students and just really pitch everything at their level and go, yeah, okay, cool. We're only going to focus on you. So we're only going to focus and prioritize you guys. Right. And that would be like the individual stuff. That's not good for the society then because the rest of the class just falls behind because even the B students are struggling to keep up with the A student. Maybe there's one or two that it's like, Oh, like, yeah, I'm just on the edge here. I can keep up, you know? And, but the majority of the class falls behind then, Right. And the opposite thing is, do we just focus on the class and we just, we're only as fast as our lowest or our slowest member. And then all of a sudden the entire class is doing worse, you know? So like, this is something that society has struggled with throughout fucking society, you know? So like, obviously we're not going to fix it or solve this <laughs> on the podcast, but it is something that you should be thinking about when we are talking about you know, public health interventions and individual level interventions. Yeah. And, and when it comes to, obesity itself then you can consider you can think about uh, the types of interventions that might be relevant to this discussion in two different ways so the first would be um the interventions that actually directly reduce uh, rates of obesity or overweight as basically in line with reducing calories or increasing activity for example or you can also look at um, looking at obesity-related diseases and even without addressing the obesity, potentially reducing um, incidence of those diseases. So examples of that would be if you're trying to reduce cardiovascular disease, you might you, you recognize that it, that's going to be high in an obese population, but that that can actually be reduced without just reducing the obesity. And examples of that would be uh, things like saturated fat content in the diet, salt in the food supply, fiber intake, all those sorts of things, even things like screening for blood pressure, um, you know, the, the guidelines related to the administration of cholesterol, lowering, dr lowering drugs, blood pressure drugs, etc. All those types of things can move that bell curve of obesity-related diseases without necessarily um, addressing the, the obesity or adiposity itself. Okay. Just to interrupt you, just yeah. to say that the, the cholesterol one is actually probably the easiest example with mm -hmm. the, the saturated fat stuff and its interaction with you know, cholesterol levels. Um, 
because and, and what I mean is it's a great example because you can see where there starts becoming this friction and this disconnect between you know a population recommendation which is like you know eat less saturated fat and then individuals experience where they go I literally eat 50 grams of butter every fucking single day and my blood cholesterol is phenomenal it's it's grand you know and like you can see why there becomes a friction then and people start or start thinking they're like maybe the government is lying to me they're just trying to keep us sick trying to keep us unwell and you get almost conspiratorial because you're saying you're you're looking at your individual blood work and you're going man this is i'm I'm good you know i'm following on the exact opposite of their guideline however like you're saying there there are other things that are at play here and it's not like you have to look at the bigger picture, which is often very hard to do. Like for example, again, in that cholesterol example, if you're an individual that, you know, exercises, does like higher intensity work, does lower intensity work, is very aerobically fit, you know, has lower levels of body fat, eats your fruit and veg, sleeps, you know, but you don't actually manage it uh, in terms of like actively manage it, but you are managing it anyway. You manage your your blood lipids, your triglycerides, and you you do all the other stuff that goes into heart disease. You do all of that other stuff right. You know, you get enough sleep, your stress is in a good place, etc. Right, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't get heart disease. I didn't. I followed the exact opposite of the guidelines here. And I didn't get heart disease. You know, so you can see why there becomes this disconnect, and it's so hard to you know detach from the situation and look at all the the variables that are going into this. And like you're saying here like you can look at obesity like we're, we're talking about in this context and focus solely on that by moving the bell curve or are we looking at the health um negatives that are associated with that and are there other interventions we could do to move the bell curve for that thing again whatever it is heart disease blood pressure whatever um and do that they do they then interact have knock-on effects in other areas and it's, it's just so hard to for the individual, like the average person, to actually see all these moving parts. Yeah, and, and an example of that recently for me personally was I just had my bloods bloods taken recently, got my blood results, and my fasting uh, triglycerides were super low, which is like a, a really good thing from a, like an insulin sensitivity perspective, you know, related to cardiovascular disease. But you know, a mark one of many markers of metabolic health. But up to that point my appetite hadn't been fantastic. So I was actually eating more refined carbohydrates, more sugar than I normally would um, because I was just trying to get my calories up. You know, I'm an active guy, lean guy. It's, it's, it, it wasn't affecting me negatively. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that would happen on a population level. On a population level, we wouldn't be saying <laughs> that, you know, a diet that is rich in refined carbohydrates and sugar is going to lead to low fasting triglycerides. And this is where people, uh, where it's really important to be a scientific thinker when it comes to your own individual outcomes with your health. Because this is what you see all the time where someone switches to a vegan diet or they switch to a keto diet, carnivore diet, whatever. And they have miraculous outcomes. You know, they're like, oh my God, it's the first time I've ever been able to stick to a diet and I got these great health outcomes. And they assume that that is generalizable for the whole population. However, it's not. Because if it was, then we wouldn't have all these people who are saying, hey, you know, I tried a carnivore diet, whereas I tried a vegan diet. You know, there's clearly some sort of individual level effect. And the role of public health is effectively to say, 
what's likely to work for the most amount of people rather than you know taking the most extreme um, prescription. So that's just something to keep in mind yourself because there's definitely examples that I've come across where you know people have um, taken the bait as such because one of their friends will say you know that they eat as much saturated fat as they want and their cholesterol is perfectly fine, no issue. But then that individual themselves might have, you know, really high total cholesterol, high LDL, and they're concerned about it. And they're like, well, what should I do? I've been told that this is a lie. So it is important to keep that kind of population level stuff in mind. And as it relates to obesity specifically, then um, you can start to think about how some of the interventions or recommendations, for example, might start to move that bell curve. An example that maybe mightn't be so intuitive all the time would be something like, um, having uh, streets that are able, that people can actually walk safely on, for example, you know that's something you wouldn't typically consider to be related to obesity. But if you were living in a, for example, a really rough neighborhood that you didn't feel safe walking in, there was lots of glass broken around the streets, and there there was very poor lighting in some areas, so you couldn't go out in the evening really. Or you or- lived in Ireland, anywhere outside of Cork, Dublin. Go away, and there were no paths. Literally, yes. <laughs> I find myself in that position very often. Um, but yeah, if you're in any of those positions, like you're actually not able to really go for a walk anytime you want. You know, um, in Ireland, for example, it's raining a lot. You know, we can't change the weather, but it's another example. Oh, I have a cross trainer behind me. There you go. <laughs> Everyone should get a cross trainer. <laughs> but but you can start to see how these kind of these things that seem divorced from the health discussion are very much relevant to health. Because if you were to improve um, the infrastructure within a whole neighborhood, you know, you clean up the streets and you've got, you know, neighborhood watch um, in place within the community. There's good lighting in all laneways. Um, you know, there's a, a good police service that are, you know, monitoring for any criminal behavior, et cetera. All those types of things can actually increase the probability that someone feels safe to go out for a walk after work in the evening or early in the morning um, without um, any obstacles. And as a result, increases activity within that area and potentially increase um, population health or reduce weights of obesity through increasing energy expenditure. So these are the types of things that we don't think of as personal trainers because we're not you know, I don't like, I don't know if you have glass in your streets. I'm just thinking, Hey, can you get your 10,000 steps in? So they're the barriers that public health um, would often be concerned with. And that obviously is also relevant to the food supply. You know, we've discussed previously, for example, fast food density within a given neighborhood and how that might impact uh, behavior of white groups of individuals. And as a result, the obesity rates within those neighborhoods or communities, you could also think about, specifics within the food supply, such as, for example, the regulation of sugar content in soft drinks, as we discussed, or it could be something like, for example, um, a limit on calorie density in different products. You know, this isn't something that's widely in place, but you could see how it might have an impact. For example, if you saw that um, a, a large proportion of calorie in or increases in calorie intake from 2010 to 20. 20 came from uh, bars of chocolate, for example, like that's not the case, but I'm just giving you an example. You might actually, the, or the government or the public health officials might say, you know what, currently um, chocolate, the average milk bar of milk chocolate has a calorie density of 540 calories per 100 grams. If we could reduce that to 
440 per 100 grams, that would be a significant reduction in calorie intake and potentially lead to uh, better outcomes at the, at the population level. Again, it might make a difference to you because you mightn't even eat chocolate. And you might even... It, it, it might, yeah, I was going to say, it might even be a negative for you. You might be like, oh, yeah. I love this. I get my calories in. This not as tasty anymore. Yeah. But on the population level, you know, it does actually modify behavior a bit because it might, you know, just lead someone to eat a little bit less. It might even change the flavor profile slightly for some people so they don't have a tendency to consume as much. Not great for Cadbury's, but good for population health. Okay, so these are the things that we're always wrestling with and the different types of things that can go into potentially modifying obesity rates, even though it mightn't help you as an individual. Yeah, it's, it's such a, excuse me, such a, intuitive area once you actually start thinking about it but it is something that most people just don't think about because again we get caught up in this individual argument or this individual discussion it's like oh well like if you're obese or overweight or whatever it's just the individual decisions you know it's completely the individual's fault um, and it's their responsibility and well yeah to an extent it is their responsibility like it's hard to argue that it's completely their fault now a hundred percent like that's on a bell curve as well like there's definitely individuals out there that they actively tried to get obese <laughs> you know like you see videos of that stuff as well like they're and they have like i don't know their boyfriend or their girlfriend is like a feeder or something you know so like there there are situations like that however the vast majority of people don't want to be obese and it's the environment that is driving them to be obese you know it's the driving them to be overweight like you said gary they might be in an area that they don't feel safe walking in. They don't feel like they could, you know, walk home from school. They haven't got activity in since they stopped organized, um, you know, activity with school uh, since they were like, whatever, 16 or something, you know? Um, and all of a sudden they, they just haven't exercised because there's no public gym uh, in the area. There's no, you know, private gym in the area. Cause you know, they live in a, a lower socioeconomic area and you know, it's not, economically viable for a gym to be there um, and all they have around them is fast food and whatever else you know so it's like there's like there's there's reasons that they struggle to regulate their weight um, and it's not necessarily their fault however like we've discussed it is still their responsibility to look after the issue in whatever ways they can and this is where it starts getting the the water start getting muddied because all we can really talk about is individual interventions like i can be like okay so this is how we solve it in your case you can buy this this and this equipment and we can get a great workout oh you don't have enough money for this this is another option you know or oh you can't do this this is another option right and um, like we can come up with an intervention that gets them exercising that gets them making better food choices that gets them more active effectively burning more calories and you know consuming less calories and all of a sudden we can get that individual to move in a better direction. So it's completely understandable that most individuals who talk about this stuff think about it as a completely individualistic pursuit because like all I can do to help someone is give them individual like <laughs> interventions. I can't be like, right, what you need to do is get you and a thousand, two thousand of your friends that are also in a similar situation. And then you need to lobby government to help in your area and do whatever, like that's not going to happen, right? So I can only give individual interventions. However, like they're only so effective on a population level. Like, for example, I can only work with a certain amount of people every week, every month, whatever, in my lifetime, right? And th that's going to clearly miss people, you know? And I assume there's 
300 of me, right? Like that's still probably going to miss people. Like there's whatever fucking seven, eight, nine billion people on earth. I don't know. Um, like you're, you're clearly going to miss some individuals with that perspective. And obviously then even with that, like, are, are we helping them pro bono? Is it for free? Like, you know, how, how do I get my food then? You know, who's looking after me if I, I'm giving them this free service, you know? So like it, it becomes a very hard thing to deal with overall if you do find yourself in a situation where the environment is not set up for you to be successful with your weight management goals, you know? And ultimately what, what needs to happen is government intervention along with individual intervention, they should be working side by side um, and the government intervention or society-wide intervention to make exercise more accessible to make you know general activity more accessible in whatever form that is um and to ultimately make the food system better you know we've discussed like like we're not smart enough to know all the stuff like i like economics and all that kind of stuff but like if you were like oh you're going with the fucking government there and redesign the economic policy i'd be like here look there's far far smarter people to be able to do that <laughs> you know but at the same time i can still recognize that there is a problem there that needs to be fixed so that ultimately what we can do is move that bell curve to a healthier position to get more people in the the bulk of that uh, bell curve into a healthier position right and yes 100% that is going to leave some individuals behind and as i've said before like we've talked about before like we are in this area where like I don't have obesity, Gary, you don't have obesity, you know? So like, we're probably not the ones, or we're probably the ones that would get left behind with interventions. Like you're saying like, oh, you're looking for ways to easily get calories in. You know, if we just start getting foods that, you know, have fewer calories, you know, it's, it's going to be a struggle for you to get the calories in that you need, right? But ultimately, if it leads to 30% of the population now being in a healthier BMI, like, does the government really care that you can't find enough skittles or whatever else to you know get your carbohydrates in post workout like no they don't care about that right so there are obviously going to be individuals left behind with policies like this and that is always the case that is always the case with intervention there are trade-offs to the intervention you make whether it's a good intervention on a society level or a good intervention on an individual level like it's still a situation of just managing trade-offs and you're never going to get it perfectly right you know again a good one is that saturated fat stuff like if you are a dairy farmer and the government says we are now limiting saturated fat and your main source has been like you know making butter like that's how you get your income like you are definitely going to be negatively affected right and it is the way it is now ultimately like i believe in jobs as we've talked about before i think that's the most important thing that a government can do is stimulate the economy to make jobs don't care about inflation i care about jobs and unemployment and ultimately those farmers that get dispossessed with that system like they have to be financially aided in transitioning to a different thing however like we still have to acknowledge that a system like that where we go okay saturated fat is bad let's move away from that that is negatively affecting some of your population both in terms of their unique tastes like maybe you just like butter like you know that's that's all you eat (laughs) and but also we live in a country where like there are dairy farmers that make a living from making butter and you can't just throw them under the bus to make the population healthier overall. Now, 
ultimately, again, this is a scum perspective, we would just sell more butter to America um, <laughs> or some other country that didn't have these interventions to lower saturated fat intake. Um, but ultimately, again, that's just, if we look at the population-wide, the earth population-wide intervention, we're not really, it's just a, you know, a, a penny in the water um, rather than fixing the world. We're just fixing like, oh, Ireland, we fix this nutritional thing. You know, it's like, it's, yeah, it's helpful, but it's not necessarily you know, the best we could do. Yep, and it would be an absolute sin to not have butter available to put on a scone, you know, I mean. Or on potatoes, man. Potatoes, brown bread, everything. Delicious. Um, this is one of the issues, like, why is all, like, good food bad for you? <laughs> you know? It's not like, fair. There's no cosmic justice. It literally isn't, though. Like, it's, it's, it's reckless. Like, I don't understand how all the good stuff, it just ends up being bad for you like this is a, it always amazes me that more people aren't obese or more people don't have health issues like the fact of the matter like the fact that i don't just go down to the shops and buy a bag of doritos for breakfast or lunch or whatever and then i don't know order a takeaway for dinner like that's more amazing in my mind you know i'm like that's not to pat myself on the back or anything <laughs> but like i'm like i know I, I understand why I do it because I like, I like all this health and fitness stuff. But if you're just a normal, average, everyday person that couldn't, you know, they don't care about this health and fitness stuff, like, I 100% understand the perspective because, man, it sounds fucking delicious to be like, yeah, I just had, like, really tasty stuff all day. Yeah, okay, cool. It was high in saturated fat, high in salt, high in calories. And, yeah, okay, I'm carrying a little bit of extra weight. Well, I understand why you would do it. It's fucking tasty. <laughs> yep. Um, that's that's being human, you know. Um, it is surprising, but here we are. Um, both lean, absolutely shredded, out of our minds. Uh, <laughs> not Muscular quite. beyond compare. Not quite. Um, but anyway, I think that that's everything I wanted to cover. Anyway, do you have any additional points you'd like to add in? I have nothing else to add to that. Ultimately, I just want people to get away from this conversation that there exists a bell curve with this stuff, and if we're trying to help the most amount of people, what we ultimately want to do is move the overall bell curve. And that to do that, it's not an individual thing. Like you're not going to get individual data points that make up those that bell curve and try to move them. Yes, as a personal trainer, yes, as a medical professional, et cetera, that's what we're going to do. However, as a society-wide uh, plan of action, that's probably not the most effective plan of action however the only other action that can be done is by government so therefore we all have a role to play in terms of either lobbying the government either interacting with your senators congress people etc ministers whatever it is in your country um lobbying them telling them your beliefs what you think needs to be done or at least be looked into um, and ultimately lobby the government so that they fix the environment we find ourselves in and stop prioritizing the profits of multinational uh, you know, corporations over the health of the individuals that actually live in the country. You know, um, in my mind, that would make sense. Sounds good to me. Um, and in the meantime, if you'd like to get on the path with your own individual health goals, we do have coaching spaces available. So if you'd like to you know, work on your training and your nutrition goals, lifestyle goals, whatever, you can work with us. We do offer nutrition, 
only coaching as well if that's just something you want to focus on on its own so if you're interested um there's information in the description box below or you can message any of us um on our social media uh me at skinny gaz on instagram patty at the real patty farrell or brian at brian ohangasa or of course just message the triage method page um, and we will get back to you with further information um along with that you could just uh, subscribe to our newsletter, the Triage Method newsletter, um, and receive some additional free information along with keeping up with all of the content that we are producing. Um, and if you're a coach yourself and you'd like to just do a better job at relaying on valuable information to individuals, we do also have a member site, the Coaches Corner, that you can subscribe to um, for supplementing your education. Uh, we have a free open access Facebook group, the Triage Method community as well. We welcome anyone asking any questions or posting problems they're having or case studies or whatever within that group. Um, so join that if you're interested. Um, and then other than that, uh, we do recommend, as I said, following along with our social media, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, if you're on a platform that allows it, leave a rating and review on the podcast. If not, at least share it on your social media. It's always appreciated when people share it on their Instagram stories. Um, and and it, you know, it lets more people know that we're putting out the good word um, of triage. Uh, but other than that, uh, that's everything for this week, I think. Anything to, to add before we finish? No, nothing to add, except I hope everyone has a phenomenal week and that they get after it. Get after it. We'll see you next week. Peace.